0: I just wanted to uh, uh, kind of frame where we're headed this morning. Um, uh, Part of that goes back to what we talked about uh, back in August for a few weeks. And so I just wanted to review for a moment kind of where we have been in relation to a couple of subjects. We talked about Christian living Um, And that was in relation to, um, or Christian giving, I'm sorry. And that was in relation to our obligation as a body of believers, as members of the church, to support the church in several different ways. And so that was one of our topics. And it had to do with just how we are together as a body of believers. And the second was believers' baptism. And we had a baptismal service after that service. And uh, what we talked about was the significance of baptism and what it means Um, The the fact that it is not spirit baptism, but it is separate from that. And it shows that we are a follower of Christ. As a matter of fact, Acts 2, 40 through 41 say this, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted or encouraged them saying, be saved from this perverse generation and those who gladly received his word. Okay, these were Peter's words that he spoke regarding salvation in Christ. So when they received his word, really receiving Christ, they were baptized. And that baptism is by immersion, showing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Again, we're not going to reteach all of that, but I'm just letting you know where we were. And then we talked about being together in Christ, the idea of not only worshiping, but fellowshipping together as a body of believers. And we studied um, much about this, but really our key text was Acts 2.42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Today we're going to look at the second of what we call the ordinances of the church. And it's really, the reason why I reviewed that is because it's really uh, the next section in relation to uh, who we are in the body of Christ and what we do. An ordinance is another word for a law. It's, It's something that we are told to do. And so we're going to talk about that today. So the first thing we're going to talk about is Jesus established the Lord's table. all right? And that brings us to Luke 22, (laughs) where I said we would be. Luke 22, let me read for you, starting in verse 7. We have a couple of texts we're going to look at, along with the one that I read earlier, that are primary texts related to um, the, the, uh, the Lord's table. Communion, the Lord's Supper, there are several names for it. Um, All are fine, but uh, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And so Luke 22, starting in verse 7, it says this. And some of this will obviously be repetitious. uh, That's okay. We're talking about a synoptic gospel here. And then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, 'Go go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. And so they said to him, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, uh, let me just back up real quick. Sorry, I should have said this earlier. You're going to see a parallel passage, but it's not going to be exact. And the reason for that is because these uh, biblical writers had a different perspective on things, and they just simply wrote down the parts that they consider to be important as God led them. So so there's a little bit difference. Some of it's maybe a little bit more than what Matthew said, and maybe some is a little bit less, but it's still the same thing. And so he said to them, "'Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters, and then you shall say to the master of the house, "'The teacher says to you, "'Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples?' And then he will show you a large, furnished upper room. There, make ready. And so they went and found it, as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and said Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So as we consider this Part of the of, of the uh, uh, gospel here, and as we consider how that relates to Matthew and kind of put all that together, I just want to give us some background. Jesus and his disciples are Jewish men celebrating the Passover. The Jews celebrated and still celebrate God's miraculous deliverance from slavery in Egypt. It was directly related to the tenth plague that the Lord unleashed upon the Egyptians. Death of all firstborn. That was the firstborn of all livestock and the firstborn of all people from all classes. No household will be spared from God's judgment. The children of Israel were instructed to slaughter a lamb without blemish and apply the blood on both sides of their doorways and over the doorway. It was an act of both obedience and faith. They obeyed the instructions of instructions because they believed God that their lives uh, depended on it and that they would be rescued, that they would be saved. Exodus chapter 12 verses 13 and 14 tell us this, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So this was an ordinance to the Jews without end, that they were to remember the Passover. So what I want us to do is kind of look at uh, the chronology of the Last Supper as we have kind of seen it here, all right? Uh, Jesus, basically prior to that, there was the plot to kill or to betray Jesus. And you remember that. That was where um, the, the uh, Jewish leaders basically said, okay, we've had enough. He needs to die. I mean, it's just flat out what they said. And we know that they got uh, involved with Judas. Uh, again, prior to that, preparations were made for the Passover. Then we saw that Jesus foretells his betrayal, right? He tells them, this this is what's going to happen. And then they were wondering, well, is it me? Is it me? Judas soon exits to complete his betrayal. And then Jesus established the new covenant, um, the remembrance of the new covenant with them. So what Jesus basically did As he concluded the Passover meal, as he picked up some of the unleavened bread, he blessed it, declared that it was his body given for them. He took the third cup in the Passover celebration. This was the cup that, in essence, ended the meal. This cup would have concluded the formal Passover meal of roast lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. And the scriptures say, and likewise the cup, right? We read that. In other words, Jesus presented the cup in the same way as he did the bread. He then declared that the wine represents the new covenant that the Christ made by shedding his blood. Mark recalls Jesus also saying, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. And then Matthew said, Which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So again, it's perspective. It's what they chose to include. But as you can see, the fuller. explanation that Jesus gave was I'm giving my body for many I'm shedding my blood for many for the remission of sins in other words Christ's atonement would usher in the new covenant foretold by the prophets again he's looking ahead to this so what is the purpose of the table. Um, as we think about this, I might have this out of order just a little bit. It says, He took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So as we think about the purpose of the table, we saw... of what that purpose was or what that purpose was in Luke 22, but I also want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to come back here again, but not until a little bit later in the service. But I want us to do in 1 Corinthians 11 right now is just simply see what Paul, how Paul instructed the Corinthians to to celebrate the Lord's table, and it gives purpose here. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, remember we read that, right? In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, if you go back to the Gospels, you're not going to see that second in remembrance of me. But what you're going to see is he did it in the same manner. All right. So this is simply revelation given to Paul, whether it be from one of the the apostles or Christ himself. And this is what was said. And it says, for as often as you eat this bread and and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if you would judge yourselves, you would be judged. Okay, we'll we'll stop right there. All right. So as we consider this, I want us to pause and remember that there are different views of communion. There are different views of the Lord's Supper. Four in particular. There are variations of these, and who knows, there might be another one out there that I'm not aware of, but we're going to work through this. The first one is called transubstantiation. Wow. Did anybody learn a new word today, right? The elements transform into the actual body and blood of Christ. That is what this view believes. As we consider this, I just want to remind us that um, how the Lord's Supper or communion is celebrated goes along with what people believe is the purpose of the observance, which is why we're going through these things. So in this case, as it says there, the elements transform into the very body and blood of Christ. This is considered a continual sacrificing of Christ as his body and blood are given over and over again. Participation in communion is considered to be to impart a portion of grace to the observer and is required for salvation. Folks, I hope that you see there's a problem here. All right. But those who uh, would espouse this believe that there is something very substantial not that we don't, but there's something very substantial in the uh, communion service, and it is a part of us gaining salvation. All right. Again, the problem is, is that even as it is stated, Christ dies; he sheds his blood; he sacrifices his body over and over again in this ceremony. The next one is called consubstantiation. Christ is physically present in or with the elements, that's the word con there, but they do not necessarily change, right? They don't become the body of Blended Christ, but he's present there with them. Martin Luther is credited with the beginning of this view. Obviously, he was one of the reformers um, in this area, maybe not reformed enough. Uh, Some who hold this view believe that communion imparts grace to the participant as part of their salvation. Others do not connect communion with receiving a portion of grace. So that's where that little bit of variation is concerned. But all consider the body and blood of Christ to be in or with the elements, but do not change into the body or blood of Christ. So again, when that takes place, the body and blood of Jesus, are present there. That's their view. There's also what is called a spiritual presence view. Christ is spiritually present with the elements. The elements represent a a relational presence unique to the celebrating of communion. In other words, the purpose of this ordinance is for Christ to commune with us. It is a heightened uh, presence way in which we relate to God Um, I know that we can give a lot more explanation of these things but I did want to give a quote from John Calvin because he is the one who espoused this view primarily as all these theologians were talking way back when and he said this for unless a man means to call God a deceiver he would never dare assert an empty symbol is set forth for him now that's kind of Draw a line in the sand there that's a pretty strong thing to say so i want you to keep that quote in mind as we then move forward but the last view that we're going to look at is symbolic remembrance the elements represent the body and blood of christ they don't turn into the body of blood in christ the body of blood in christ are present there and there isn't a spiritual presence of his body and blood. Okay? We believe the proper interpretation is that Christ's words about his body and blood are figurative. There's other examples. He talked about himself being the door, the bread of life, and on on we can go. Those were not literal. Those were figurative. This ordinance has nothing to do with receiving salvation. The elements do not enhance our closeness with Christ. Now, keep that phrase in mind. Therefore, we do not simply disagree with the first two views. We wholeheartedly reject their practice and meaning as a corruption of what Christ intended the ordinance to mean. The body and blood are not a part in any way, shape, or form of the elements that we will celebrate today. Celebrate with. We also do not hold to view three in that we do not believe the Lord's table is a greater intensity of the Lord's presence. See, that's the difference. It doesn't mean that we might not feel closer to the Lord by celebrating it. But He is no closer to us. There's not more of Him in the room When we had these elements present, and that's the subtle but important difference. God resides in us, folks, and he promises that if we gather together, he is among us. So any type of ceremony, which is what it is, it's a memorial, it's a remembrance, does not somehow bring more of Jesus to us. So the purpose is to remember the atonement of Christ. Now, I read for you already, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 through 30, um, but I, I want to uh, help us understand here. Paul reiterates the purpose of the Lord's Supper to remember the atoning sacrifice of Christ. As Paul repeated the purpose that Christ gave for the Lord's table, he had every opportunity under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to clarify the intent and practice of the Lord's Supper. Let me say it very simply. As he was writing, God could have told him to write anything else down in relation to this. He was in the process of bringing these people back to where they should have been. Instead, Paul simply said that when we observe what Christ established, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The purpose is not to create an opportunity for us to commune or connect directly with Christ. The new covenant has already accomplished that. Right. We have fellowship with him. The purpose of this celebration is to commune with one another to celebrate what, was brought, what has brought us together in Christ. Together we are recognizing, affirming, and proclaiming the atoning and saving sacrifice sacrificial death of Christ until he comes the greatest reason to see communion uh, is is what Jesus used to institute the purpose of the new covenant in other words how are we going to see purpose let's see how Jesus used it what did he do what was the occasion it was passover The Passover feast was merely a remembrance of God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. Now, when I say merely, I don't mean like only it was no big deal. I mean, simply stated, that's what it was. Now, of course, it's all a picture of Christ and what he was ultimately going to do. But it was talking about the freedom from Egypt that came through a powerful and miraculous act. But that powerful and miraculous act wasn't repeated over and over again. It was simply remembered. God instituted Passover for his people to remember. The same simple reason that Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. It is a memorial. It is a remembrance. Now, that's more of the theology, the purpose behind it and what it means. But what I want to do just very briefly here is recognize the irony of the accounts that we're looking at. Uh, you know, there, there is something to this. Uh, let's go back to the uh, chronology of the Lord's Supper that we looked at. And um, I want us to see here. Uh, I've got a couple of things to kind of insert here, okay? We saw that he established the Lord's table. That's talking about Christ himself. Uh, We looked at the purpose, and now we're we're looking at the irony of it. So these were the events that we saw before, and I want us to just insert a couple of things. First off, uh, John, in the book of John, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And as you can see, this happened prior to him foretelling of his betrayal. What really happened, very basically, was this, that uh, no one had decided to wash one another's feet. Jesus laid aside his outer garments, he girded himself with a towel, and he washed the disciples' dirty feet. Uh, If you remember, they practiced eating by lounging. So if I were lounging with you and you were lounging with me, And we were all together, and no one washed each other's feet. You'd have dirty feet about, oh, I don't know, table level. Ew, right? So Jesus washed their feet. The foot washing was to show the character of Christ that he expected them to live out. Jesus washed their feet, the duty of the lowest-ranking servant, right before he announced he was to be betrayed. The timing is translated poorly here. The meaning is not, and it says, supper having ended, but it's that supper was taking place. Okay, In other words, it was in the process of being completed. They were doing it. Which means that this, book, this took place before he established the remembrance of the covenant. So why am I stressing the timing of this? Because he demonstrated what it meant to follow him before he even instituted this new ordinance. So that brings us to one part of Luke's account that's a little bit different. The disciples argued about who was greatest. And we're going to see this here in Luke 22, 21 through 24. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is is with me on the table. Now, again, I've got to give a little context here. Uh, Judas has already left. So uh, this is, again, symbolic language, which means... Judas is actively in the process of betraying me. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question among themselves which of them was who would do this. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So, what happened? This whole thing about is it me? Is it me? Right? Turned into, well, I'm better than you are. No, I'm going to be the greatest. Wow, that's nice, isn't it? Jesus brought up that his betrayal was in process. The disciples asked him again who the betrayer would be. And this broke down into fighting over who was the greatest. Greatest. Now understand that this now was very shortly after Jesus had established with them this remembrance of the new covenant, right? I'm giving my body and blood for you. Can you imagine how that scene sounded and looked like? Grown men around a table with this conversation kind of devolving into You know, my dad can beat up your dad, right? That's kind of what we're talking about. Just petty, I'm better than you are. You know, what about you and this? And, you know, who knows how they were treating one another. And let's not forget the God of this universe who within hours is going to give his life for these and all who are his is watching them fight about who's going to have the highest rank with him. After he washed their feet. After he said, you need to do this. Now, he didn't say, do this in remembrance of me. Right? He said, this is how you need to live. And then we go to the Corinthian passage. And I, want, I told you we get back there. I want to read you what is just immediately before his instructions about how to come to the table. Starting in verse 17 of chapter 11, it says this, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. But there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? (laughs) I love that. That sounds so contemporary, right? What? (laughs) Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And then he goes into the instructions. So one of the things that divided the Corinthian church was their love feast and observance of the Lord's table. They kind of did it all as one thing. They had this feast together, kind of, that's the together in air quotes, right? Where they had this meal together. And then as a part of that, they celebrated the Lord's table. They celebrated communion with one another. So their love feast was a separate meal eaten together um, in the the context. The rich were preoccupied with their exclusive status and their fancy foods, right? The rich made this an exclusive event. Ooh, what did you bring? Hmm, Too bad for them, right? We're going to keep them out. They're the have-nots. We're the haves, and let's really enjoy ourselves, By the way, just to kind of mix these two contexts together, how does washing one another's feet fit into that? Those who are not rich were frustrated because they were excluded from the love feast. And frankly, they were hungry. Not just I missed a meal. They were hungry. They were poor. So there was bitterness, envy, pride, division, and conflict in the church during the Lord's Supper. So the people had this terrible attitude as they came to the table. Paul wrote in order to bring the proper focus back to the remembrance of Christ's sacrifice. That was the purpose of his writing. Of course, he laid out the purpose of the Lord's table. But what I found interesting, and I just want us to note here, is that we have the two times, the two main times, and and I mean including the Synoptic Gospels, right, where we have the Lord's table first instituted and then explained by Paul, it was not a pretty sight. (laughs) And part of that is just to give us a gentle warning, right, right? as a body of believers because it's not just at the table itself but it it goes beyond that into how we live together and we've talked about that a lot in recent months but along with that it's an encouragement right? not because we're better than those old Corinthians look folks if that's the bar (laughs) come on they had a lot of problems but it still should be an encouragement that we're meeting that threshold there, that we take it seriously. It's a celebration, but we take it seriously, all right? Which kind of brings us to some conclusions that we should have as we move forward here. Everything that we looked at today should bring us to several practical things that we can apply. Christ gave us this ordinance so that we would remember the cost, of our deliverance from slavery and sin. Remember, Passover, same idea. Slavery in Egypt. Looking ahead to the Passover lamb that was going to take away our sins and give us freedom from slavery to it. Complete and total forgiveness from it, from sin. Christ established the new covenant by fulfilling what the Passover foreshadowed. Because of this, he used the elements of the feast, the bread and the wine, to represent his work as the sacrifice. John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God, and Paul declared to the Corinthians in a previous uh, chapter uh, that Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. That's Paul's words. Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. So we are to observe the table with the right heart attitude. That's the other thing that we see Paul explicitly saying. And like those who celebrated the Passover, this is a time to celebrate our deliverance from sin and unity in Christ. And all of this will accomplish this one thing, that we will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that is what we celebrate when we come to the table. Prior to us actually celebrating the Lord's table, we're going to have Brother Ed come and lead us in a song, and then we will transition over into uh, celebrating together.